This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Episode 73 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Purdue Farms is a major U.S. agricultural business, best known for their processing of chicken, turkey, and pork, and is one of the top providers of grain. Founded nearly a century ago as a mom-and-pop business with a small flock of chickens, today the company marks sales in excess of $6.5 billion a year, with over 20,000 employees. Chris Walski is Director of Information Security and Data Protection at Purdue Farms, and he joins us to describe the unique intersection of cyber and physical systems he and his team help protect. Stay with us. My first computer was a little Bally game system, and it came with a basic cartridge. And uh, that's how I started learning about programming. And uh, if you look up a Bally game system, you'll see how old that really kind of makes me. <laughs> uh, it's it's a uh, and from there on, my uh, my grandmother had uh, you know continually upgraded my uh, capabilities by buying newer computers and. Eventually, we migrated off of using the family television for the monitor and actually had a real monitor on a desk. Graduated high school, joined the Navy, got into uh, information security uh, through data collection and and data classification. And then uh, after 20 years, retired, uh, went back into the Navy as a civilian, uh, did a little time over at the Joint Chiefs of Staff doing incident response for them. And for me, that was a long commute. Uh, I was still living in Delaware and had a, a two-hour commute to Washington, D.C. every day. Hmm. And from there, I'm like, well, there's got to be something closer. And then Purdue Farms came and said, hey, we're looking for an information security analyst. And that's how I ended up here at Purdue. Uh, since that time, I've uh, promoted up, and now I am the director of information security at Purdue Farms. So uh, give us some insights uh, what the, the contrast is between the time you spent uh, with the Navy in government and in the private sector. The contrast I see most is, you know, was something actually is actually kind of unfounded. I thought there was going to be, uh, you know, a significant uh, political uh, difference between the two. And there's actually, you know, it still exists in the private sector. It's just how it's handled that is different. That's the contrast. Hmm. Um, the the political games that uh, you have to play within an organization, private organization such as Purdue, uh, it's more personal. In the government, I felt that it was you know, more hierarchy. You cannot talk to somebody unless you know you have permission up the chain and different you know tree level to be able to talk to somebody. Here. Um, once I've established myself, I've been able to, you know, I could go and talk to others within the organization. And if necessary, I can backfill the, uh, my, my supervisor or, you know, you know it's, it's nothing for me to be able to go talk to the uh, CEO and say, you know, what's on my mind and, you know, then backfill the, the CIO. What are the differences in the types of challenges that you're facing day to day between government and, and in the private sector? Uh, challenges wise, it's you know I think it's the same. It's uh, it, challenges is the same as when it comes to money. The differences are 
Um, you know, we don't, we still do color of money. You know, uh, we, you know, we have capital and we have OPEX and the challenge comes is where, what flavor of money or color money we're going to use for this year. What is acceptable? Are we looking more to spend operational or are we going to do more of the capital expense? The other issues that we have are the awareness part of it. Within government, it's pretty much mandated. Everybody understands cybersecurity or has to understand cybersecurity as part of their job. Uh, It's much easier to implement policy because it's do as I tell you and mentality in in the government and the military. Uh, Working with the civilian and private sector, it's much less that and more of, okay, let me help you understand and kind of guide you towards understanding what cybersecurity is. Hmm. Now, I I am certainly uh, familiar with Purdue Farms, having uh, grown up here in Maryland and uh, taken trips to uh, the eastern shore to Ocean City every summer as a child. You would drive by the Purdue Farms there where chickens are are raised. Sometimes you'd be uh, traveling down the highway and a a truck full of chickens would drive by, which uh, for a kid from the suburbs was something to see. Um, can can you give us a, an idea of of the scope of uh, of Purdue Farms from a cybersecurity point of view? What kinds of things do you have to deal with day to day? On a day to day basis for cybersecurity at Purdue, we're really looking at uh, protecting the brand name, uh, the brand to be the most trusted name, and in, in agriculture uh, applies to the cybersecurity realm. Here, uh, we don't want to have the Purdue name dragged down because of a cybersecurity event. And at the same time, we want to ensure that we're protecting our, our employees to prevent you know, an accidental phishing click or uh, to in- inadvertently uh, introduce malware into our environment. Um, we typically look at Purdue as having four different, I guess, opponents, if you, you want to say it that way. You know, we have to deal with the hacktivists because we got people that don't like how we raise chickens or like the chickens in the truck or mm-hmm. don't like to eat meat. So we have we have those people that uh, we have to protect against. We have uh, nation state actors that we need to protect against. While it's not a large threat, it does exist. And then we also have, of course, the internal user that we have to worry about. And finally, like every other organization, the cyber criminals that are out there and trying to, you know, make a quick buck off of some ransomware or account takeover, whatever the case may be. Now, how do you handle uh, dealing with third-party risk? You have a lot of suppliers. You work with uh, a lot of farms. You know, it's a huge industrial operation that you have there. How do you approach that? With the third-party risk, uh, we really look closely at the documentation that they have. Um, we try to find uh, third parties that have uh, completed some sort of SOC documentation, SOC 1 or SOC 2, that can attest to their level of cybersecurity. Really want to make sure that we're dealing with uh, uh, third parties that understand where we're coming from as far as security and then we can also understand what they're having. Additionally, we look to researching our third parties through like the recorded uh, future uh, threat intel product 
And we also do some web searching to see what's out there for that company to make sure that you know, we're dealing with a company that's legitimate. As um, far as the farmers, the farmers are all independent contractors. Uh, we don't uh, provide uh, much in a way for them, but they have some access to some external sites, websites, but nothing really internally. Can you describe to me what is your um, process? Uh, how do you approach uh, communicating with the folks who are above you in the organization, the board of directors, the, the people that you have to report to? Um, how do you take care of translating that message when it comes to security and budgets and things like that? Uh, when talking to the board or, or, or people that really don't under cybersecurity, the technology or the terms, I use a lot of analogies uh, that they can relate to. Uh, you know, it's it's bringing back uh, you know kind of t- a storytelling mentality. Of this is if we did this and put it in a term that they'd understand, then we can protect this. You know, it, it's you know kind of like even like the medieval terms going back to the castle and the moat. You know, help mm. them understand that. You know, Purdue Farms is the castle. We have to protect it. So analogies like that or when I'm talking with the transportation folks, you know, putting it in terms of how they operate so that they can understand it. And then once they get it, then, you know, you can see that light bulb come on and, oh, okay, now I understand what you're trying to say. How about in in terms of um, incident response? When when things do happen – uh, how how do you all prepare for that? Do you do you practice ahead of time? What's your approach to that? For incident response, uh, we have a proactive plan in place, and it's tiered level. It's one of the things I brought with me from uh, Department of Defense is a tiered level response. You know, something as simple as a malware showing up on a device does not require an entire incident response team to go and manip- you know activate and run you know like kids towards a soccer ball. Um, well, no, what we do is it's very measured, um, and then as it gro- as the incident grows, if it's something that uh, cannot be handled by my team, then we start looking at bringing in other team members, uh, you know, infrastructure or legal, and then if it's something that cannot be contained internally, then we'll definitely reach out to a, a third party to assist us, and uh, so it's very measured. Uh, it's, it's efficient and, uh, actually, you know, has like kind of a flow chart mentality or function to it. Now, what about your, your own management style? When, when you're working with your team, uh, what, what's your leadership style? I've, uh, I've learned to become, uh, you know, being that Navy chief petty officer, uh, that I've really come to being a, uh, coach and mentor. Uh, I sit with my team. I'm not off in some office somewhere. I work with them, and when they have questions, cybersecurity-related or incident response-related, I'm right there with them and help them answer the question. And then I give them the tasks, day-to-day tasks, and you know, I expect them to do it, and I don't hover over them. I'm not micromanaging or standing over their shoulder and making sure they click the right button. Uh, and if they have questions, they know they could come, they can approach me and they'll get answers to them and the, in a way that helps them learn what the you know best process is. Or maybe sometimes I'll even learn from them because they're like, oh, well, how about this way? And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. 
show me that again. And then, you know, and we improve our process. Yeah, you, you mentioned mentoring, and I know that's something that's important to you. Can you describe to us why you think that is important, and, and how, do you, uh, how do you take on that task of mentoring people? When mentoring, it's, it's, it's about helping the person get to their goal. It's not doing it for them. And so for me, for, to mentor somebody, I'll point them in the right direction, maybe give them a little bit of something to research, but at the same time giving them you know, a little support that backstops them and, and, and helps them uh, grow on their own. Uh, mentoring is one of those things that the person then starts feeling as some sort of self-achievement when, they, when they've completed something on their own, when they've been directed and pointed in a way that somebody can understand the whole process. I think it, it sparks innovation in some ways, and because when you're you know you're mentoring, like I say, you're not giving them the entire answer. You're giving them a, a, a direction to go in, and then maybe sometimes they come up with their own own solution, and that definitely can help improve the business or can help uh, you know the, the the department and information security as a whole. I, I seek out mentors to help me in gaining, you know, my next level. It's not, it's not something that you know, looking at, at for me to provide, but also to, you know, I also use to help me guide my decisions, personally and professionally. I want to talk about uh, threat intelligence and uh, how you view it, the importance it has to you. Uh, I know uh, you use the recorded future tools there at Purdue. Can you just describe to us um, how do you approach threat intelligence? Uh, threat intelligence is another member of my team, especially the recorded future uh, tools. Um, it gives me time to be able to focus on the issues I have here in my office and at the same time use the tools and the other sources out there to keep me abreast of what's going on in the industry, what could be going on with our threats, and being able to provide that information to the people in my organization that really could use it to protect, you know, physically. You know, sometimes we learn about protests in advance because of the uh, the threat intelligence, and then additionally, we find out when something has been leaked out onto the internet that shouldn't have been leaked out. So it allows us to be proactive and at the same time reactive. It's it's one of these things that has proven its value in a very quick, uh, short time frame. Um, we've only been with Recorded Future for uh, probably about six months now, and uh, you know the the one the subscription that we got is already kind of paid for itself just with the the visibility that we've gained that we didn't have before. Now, what would your advice be to someone who is considering using uh, threat intelligence in terms of shopping around and you know, dialing in what is the best approach for them? Understanding what your threat uh, intelligence requirements are. What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're trying to answer? Um, for us, it's you know brand protection and uh, understanding you know the tactics and techniques of our the threat actors against us. Um, so understanding what those requirements are will help you in deciding the best product for you. Um, if it's something where you're looking at just being able to understand different indicators of compromise, 
maybe finding something that provides that would work for you. Whereas if you're looking for something that's a little more strategic, in my case, you know, uh, being able to present something to the board to provide strategic uh, roadmap to address the different threats that we face, it you know, really depends on what you're looking to do with that information, that intelligence. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting point you bring up about how uh, even the intelligence coming through what we would consider to be a cyber domain, you know, through someone like Recorded Future, mm-hmm. um, but that has, I mean, that's a, that's you're, you're getting real world intelligence from that as well. You talk about uh, you know things like potential protests, which are physical non-cyber events, but you get the information from them through that information domain. That's correct. So, for example, if there's a protest planned at one of our facilities, uh, I can lead that off to the, you know, the, the physical security officer here so that he can make sure that, you know, there's guards in place and, and that, you know, communication is put out company is ready to respond, you know, with a public communication or, you know, whatever steps necessary to protect the company and the associates, you know, with the company. So the employees as well. Our thanks to Chris Wolski from Purdue Farms for joining us. If you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll take the time to rate it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help people find the show. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.